welcome to the Sports Code Podcast. My name is Ryan Walker and with me as always is the big community guy, Ruben Williams. How are you, mate? G'day, Ryan. I'm fantastic. Thank you. Where did you get that from? Well, I was I was actually having a bit of a stalk of you before on the Sports Code community as channel. You, as you do. <laughs> as I always do. I, like, I, I look at your LinkedIn a, a bit, but now that we're on the Discord server, I've, I've, I've looked at your profile and I saw in your bio you had... <laughs> big community guy <laughs> and it just it got me thinking i was like that's that's quite cool you are a bit of a big community guy so do like community kudos <laughs> to you I, I like your bio what can i say thank you thank you no I'm, I'm loving the discord bios at the moment just loving discord in general it's mm. um you know building this has been the first time being introduced to it and it's been a really cool platform just to get involved with i believe it's made for gamers i feel like i'm past it a bit now by saying it's for the younger generation who are all gaming <laughs> heaps um but i've loved getting to know it's kind of like slack but a lot cooler i've found yeah well i like to think that you know it was once for gamers mm. now it's for the, the sports trade community <laughs> <laughs> so exactly. there's a new use for discord out there which is great we'll have to get in touch with them yeah i think and they'd probably be listening so shout out to the team at discord um good on them Anyway, let's, uh, let's get on to the episode. Uh, if you want to learn more about us, uh, who we are, feel free to connect with us on LinkedIn or if you want to ask us any questions at all, jump into our online community. And a shout out to our members in that online community. Ryan, it was awesome to introduce members from the FIFA Women's World Cup yeah. of all places into the community during the week. So it's growing and we're getting Crazy. some awesome people involved. So FIFA Women's World Cup coming up in 2023. They're going to have some roles in the community very, very soon. You don't get much bigger than that, do you? Oh, the Olympics and FIFA are it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure you, you can. I, I'm sure we'll try, but I'm not sure we'll get there. FIFA pretty much is the the top dog in terms of sports. So That's anyway. it. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yes, if you want to get your foot in the door of the sports industry or if you want to hire people quickly and easily like the FIFA Women's World Cup are planning to do, or if you just want to learn from the best in the world and develop yourself professionally, there really is something for everyone inside the sports grad community. So get involved with that. Awesome. We're going to start today's episode as we usually do with a tip, uh, which we love. And that a tip is to get a job in sport. Um, so if you're currently studying or you're just finishing studying, having a postgrad qualification in sports management is just so useful. And it's a, it's a huge benefit to your resume um, to basically be able to get a leg up over potential candidates applying for the same role. So if you want to pump up your resume like Ruben and I did once, uh, get specialised knowledge in sport behaviour, law, marketing, ethics, finance, governance and strategy, take a look at Deakin University's postgrad qualifications. Their Master of Business in Sports Management is not one of but the best one in Australia ranked at number one. So add a postgrad to your resume uh, and that's our tip for the episode. I'm going to rem remember all those things I reckon soon. It's <laughs> it's quite a list. It's they quite are. impressive. They're quite so. a list and very useful as well if you want to do the job of our episode of our guest today, Ryan. And our guest Absolutely. today is Adam Kyle from the Australian Sports Commission. Now here, Adam works as a human resource business partner. Adam was born and raised in Canberra and he then went to move to England at the age of 2020, sorry, not 2022, just 22, <laughs> where he worked with the London Broncos rugby league team coaching the local A-grade side to a National Cup win. 
And after three years, Adam returned home to work as a coach and game development officer for both the Canberra Raiders and the NRL. And he spent six and eight years with each of these organisations respectively. Then Adam took up the role at the Australian Sports Commission, working with the sporting schools program before moving into a role in HR. Ryan, what do we have to look forward to today? Well, I think having someone of Adam's calibre who has had the experience that he's had from, you know, not only here in Australia but overseas was absolutely awesome. I love chatting to him about sort of what the best interviewers do well. I feel like we, we speak to a lot of people around this topic and what can people do, but he, I feel like he just nailed it and he simplified it really well. So I feel, he's just got it all figured out in terms of what he's looking for. So that was awesome for me. Yeah, well, he would know what the best interviewers do well because he is an extremely good interviewer himself. Yeah. <laughs> he mentioned that he spent 20 hours preparing for his interview at the London Broncos and we found out exactly how he spent every minute of those 20 hours and it is compelling. So if you have got something mm -hmm. coming up, you know, Adam's preparation advice does not get, you know, there's no better preparation advice than what Adam has to share. Absolutely. I think the last one I'll say is if you're interested in game development, uh, which is a fantastic area of sport to work in. Adam tells us the number one thing you need to do to be successful in that area. So stay tuned for that. And it's not been able to kick a ball. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A lot. yeah. I mean, he did mention that in there. So we won't give it away too soon. But, uh, yeah. So that was outstanding. So grab a pen and enjoy this chat with Adam Kyle. Adam, welcome to the Sports Grad Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Really excited to uh, to be on such a prestigious podcast. Um, I know many, many listeners. So yeah, thank you so much for having me. Oh, yeah, you're too kind, Adam. And we are we're equally grateful because we just found out that you're media trained. So this should be an excellent episode. <laughs> well, yeah, thank you for dropping that in nice and early. There's no pressure now moving forward. I kind of I, I, as soon as you said that in the you know, in the prelude, we were chatting through what, what's going to happen today on the podcast. When you said you were media trainer, I was like, that's some good fuel for Ruth <laughs> to, uh, to jump on very early oh, in the great. podcast. So you, you, you kind of set yourself up there, but, you know, I think it worked in your favour. Absolutely. I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, Adam, um, we know you've got a deep uh, history and experience in rugby in the areas of game development and as a coach as well, but you're now in HR. And to some, this might not seem like an obvious career step. So I was wondering if we could start by just sharing some of the similarities between the role of a coach and the role of HR. And, and yeah, you're right, mate. It certainly isn't something that um, I guess as a coach I ever would have thought I'd, I'd be a, a business partner um, in, in human resources. Um, the similarities between them are so common and I sort of tell everyone when, when everyone – uh, ever asked sort of the role I was in and what I'm doing they always say I can't believe how you've made that transition it makes no sense but the role between business partner and coach is so aligned in regards to it's all about people so how you address people how you talk to them um, coming up with strategic plans and everything is just linked back to coaching you know when you're talking about negotiating contracts with players player development plans how they progress through skill sets exactly the same thing when you're talking about people in a human resources environment. You, you are looking at, you know, talking about contracts, ongoing, fixed term, negotiating salaries, their working conditions, looking at um, 
uh, I guess they're they're learning as as an employee where they can develop further. So um, uh, there's other parts as well that sort of link in between that. So coaching, obviously, uh, a lot of the time you're, I guess, in a performance environment. You're probably working quite closely aligned either to a CEO or a head of player performance um, or, or an NRL head coach um, in some instances as well. And, again, you're sort of feeding back up the line on, on a lot of the information that you get about players and how that works. HR is exact, exactly the same. You're working with senior leaders, exec, CEO. You've got that same sort of feedback back and it's all again it's all about people and that that's the thing that really drew me into this role and um, I was fortunate enough at the sports commission to be um, offered an opportunity to come into this role uh, based off my coaching experience that's unreal what one thing I want to clarify real quick and this is something I've never really understood because when, when you look at someone in an organization and their title is operations manager it's just operations manager but if you're an HR manager there seems to be business partner at the start of it what, what does that mean so business partner is uh, basically you're a bit of the, the middleman between, I guess, a lot of the managers and the policy and process behind things, you know, like your enterprise agreement, your bargaining agreement. You're sort of the, I, I guess, the policy holder of that. So when managers want to recruit, they will come to you and say, hey, I'm looking at recruiting. Do we have budget? How do we put a job description together? How do we recruit? Where do we recruit? Um, and you'll start to talk about some of the diagnostics of, you know, when you're shortlisting, how do you do um, diagnostics on that person to help shortlist and get the right candidate for the job? You might be working with senior leaders looking at change management plans. If they're, you know, looking to downsize or they're taking on a bigger piece of work, you're looking at planning bigger parts of the organization. So there certainly are different parts. And me personally, I'll be honest, I don't obviously, I don't have a HR background. So when the role was first brought up, I was a bit the same saying, well, what is it that you actually do? And when, um, yeah, when it was sort of talked about, I thought, yeah, my skills actually align to that. You know, I do season planning, session planning, personal planning, my communication, you know, with CEO down to, you know, kids when we're trying to recruit, I've sort of done that, that varied skill set. So I think, um, yeah, they sort of tied in really well together. You mentioned the skills there that you need to be in HR. I want to go back a little while and ask you, what were some of the skills you learnt uh, in your early 20s coaching rugby? Yeah, look, I sort of played since I was a kid and and coaching wasn't something I'd ever really thought too much about and uh, moved to England uh, and I actually uh, joined one of the, the – I went across to play footy over there, so I was playing for one of the local clubs and I needed somewhere to live and the, the coach there at the time um, offered me to come and stay with him and I didn't actually know, but he was the, um, the game development officer for Birmingham where I was staying in England. So uh, I didn't have a job when I first went there. I was doing a bit of bar work as you, as you do when you're travelling and – um, I started to go out during the day with him. He, he wanted someone to sort of um, assist. And I was like, yeah, I'll, I love footy. I, I want to kick a football around all day. Certainly I'll come out. So I started to sort of pick some of his brain. And he, he was a fantastic game development officer. He was six foot five and probably 140 kilos. <laughs> Didn't look like your, you know, your traditional coach, but he was the softest, politest man. And the biggest thing I got from him was just how he spoke to people. He was so engaging whenever he was in front of kids, teachers, principals, um, government if he was trying to get funding for things he was so engaging and you always felt like when you left the room the room sort of a little bit was taken away from it so for me that was the biggest thing about coaching um, was I wanted people to I guess sort of engage with me and felt like I was actually offering something to them 
And when I left, they took something away from that. How, how do you do that? Like what, what does that look like in, in practice? Oh, I, guess, I guess part of that is is how you communicate. So depending on the environment, you know, if you're talking to kids, it's getting down to their level and having the eye contact, the engagement with them, knowing what they're there for. And that's probably one of the other biggest parts is knowing the audience that you're talking to. You know, if it's a CEO, they're not going to want to have a lot of small chat and, you know, it's they're, they're quite direct. So that's where you probably need to have that same um, ability to communicate on their level. Same as parents. What do parents want to know? They're not going to want to know, you know, all the in-depth details, but they are going to want to know that their child's safe, it's affordable, what skill set, what things are you going to help them develop with? So for me, that was a really big one um, when looking at, at jobs more broadly was what is the job and then what skill set, what communication can I actually invest into that for them to want to offer me the role? So really making sure that I knew the audience that I was always presenting to. Okay, because when you first said that, it sounded like, you know, perhaps this guy's using his hands really well or, you know, yeah. undulating his voice or doing all this sort of charismatic <laughs> things. But it sounds like the most important part is actually what comes out of your mouth and the content that you deliver to the right person at the right time. Oh, 100%. He was a he was a northern guy, a really thick Leeds accent, and <laughs> uh, he was in Birmingham, and, and a lot of the Birmingham kids had never even heard someone from Leeds. So he, he had to be engaging. And the other part was that I learned was – where we were in, in England, in the Midlands, rugby league was barely played. It was a massive soccer, massive football town with, you know, billions of kids playing soccer. So the way he described things and the way he engaged with the kids really made them want to buy into it. They'd never seen a footy before. So, you know, that was something that was really special that um, the way he was able to talk to them and the way he was able to sell the sport to teachers, to government, you know, he got so much funding because he was able to, say the right things. He knew from the government what they wanted to hear and that was the most important thing and then he could sell it that way. Those sort of people are so invaluable. Like It's hard yeah. to come across people with that sort of skill set. Sounds like he'd just be an unreal salesman. <laughs> could probably work, get yeah, a job anywhere. It, mate, could sell anything. It was the it was the best thing ever. When I when I uh, I ended up getting a, an opportunity. So after sort of volunteering and working with him, there was a, a full time job at the London Broncos, which is about three hours away from where I was living. And um, when I had the interview, uh, I literally said, "Mate, I want to. I've been working with you for a while. I know. I want everything. I want to know everything about every single part of your job that you do." And he was he couldn't have been more accommodating. Like he's, he's one of my best friends now, but at the time, like we hadn't known each other for that long and he couldn't have been more accommodating to say, basically, here's everything. Here's everything that you need to do. And I walked into that interview feeling absolutely bulletproof because one, I'd sort of been doing the job for a while as a volunteer, but two, I just, I was so prepped. I knew exactly what they wanted to hear. I knew how I was going to deliver. I knew the audience I was coming into. Can you, can you recall a particular piece of it? of feedback that really helped or motivated you early on in your career? Yeah, uh, I think it was um, probably speaking to him when I first sort of got over there, like, and we started talking about some, some jobs in sport. And even when I left college and stuff, I was like, I love footy. I'd love to kick a footy every day. Game development sounds awesome. I just kick a footy every day, yeah. you know, and, it does sound and everyone's sort of, and, you know, if it's cricket, oh, I just want to hit the ball and I want to bowl all day. Like, you know, sport jobs are the best. And, again, the guy over in England was like, mate, that's 20% of this job. Yeah. The rest of it is all about stakeholder engagement. And he said, if you can nail the stakeholder engagement, the coaching side, really, really easy. If you can manage, if you can get the stakeholder engagement right, 
know your audience, know who you're pitching and delivering to. He said, you'll absolutely nail it. And for me, that's been one of the biggest takeaways when, you know, I was in my early 20s to almost every job I've gone for after that because that sort of sat in the back of my head was, you know, if it's this job in HR, you know, I've come into this job with with almost no HR experience qualification at all, but Mm. I sort of, I knew the stakeholder management was a huge part of this and they wanted someone who could communicate with a casual employee to a CEO and I thought I, I can do that. So that's how I sort of pitched and presented that. And stakeholder engagement, do you reckon it's like a bit of a fancy word really for being able to build relationships, right? Like for, 100%, for those listening, yep. who, you know, stakeholder engagement, no, like <laughs> just be able to speak to people and build relationships with people, right? <laughs> And you'll hear that and you'll see that in every single job ad everywhere. There'll be stakeholder engagement yeah. in absolutely everything. And, and you've nailed that right there, mate. It's <laughs> being able to communicate with the right person at the right time. Yeah. You know, everyone um, is able to communicate and stakeholder engagement can mean a billion different things. You know, if you're speaking to, you know, a school teacher and you're trying to sell your sport to them, you're going to be speaking to them fairly differently if you're talking to government and you're trying to get funds to run a program they're very different things and and how you communicate and though that's the stakeholder engagement that's the bit that you need to know and have researched before coming to it to say i know what it is that they want from me and this is what i can actually do to deliver it and if i don't think that i can do that i need to come up with something else that's going to work and, and i can sort of pitch back to them one thing that's really interesting hearing you talk about the importance of you know building relationships and understanding what message to communicate to your audience, essentially having empathy for the people you're talking to, is that that fundamental principle is consistent in a lot of other areas in a sporting organization, but you're doing very different things. For example, when we spoke to uh, Finn Bradshaw from the ICC uh, in episode 50, he's the head of digital based over in Dubai, and he was responsible for growing cricket.com.au. And we asked him, you know, what do you need to do to be a successful digital um, publisher? And he said the most important thing in digital is having empathy for your audience. Now, this is something completely different to game development, but the fundamental principle of success is exactly the same. So it's just really interesting yeah. hearing you say that, you know, there's a, couple of, um, there's a couple of things that are kind of really critical in all areas of sport. It, it is. And I guess, um, you know, in, in that game development world, you are a bit of a salesman. Whether whether you like yeah. it or not, there is that sales pitch. You're always selling a product. If it's a if you're selling a product to a parent to get the you know the child engaged in the sport at a junior level, you're selling it to a school to get them to play in a in a school competition to a principal that's never seen it before to get a community engagement project in there. You know, to government to get more funding. You know, you're, you're always selling something to somebody, and that's where I suppose you, you you're right there. It's really knowing knowing why they're there, why they coming to the table you know and if you have that you're miles ahead of where probably most other people are while we're on the topic of empathy for your audience when we spoke previously adam you talked about the best ways a candidate can tell an organization what they want to hear particularly when it comes to answering the question why do you want to work here for example if someone was keen to (laughs) work at the nrl and they said you know i just want to help grow the game how can you make that a more compelling answer Yep. And again, I said it before, mate, you'll get so many people that come to interview game development roles that just say, I love footy. I've played footy since I was a kid. It's all I've ever done. That's great. 
But when you're looking at the actual role, it's 20% of the job is that coaching, that that kicking a footy around, having fun. The other part is that growing the game. So for me, what people need to be looking at is, is there a, um, a corporate plan? Is there a strategic plan? Which, again, most organisations will have and they'll have it posted on their on their websites that you can pull out and it'll have stuff around growth of women's participation, disability sport, um, inclusion, diversity. And then when you're going into those interviews, it's picking those parts out because that's actually what they want to hear. So when you're saying, I want to grow the game, they're going to go, great, but how are you going to do that? Well, I want to grow women's rugby league by delivering more sessions in um, high schools with female-only focus, holiday clinics that have a female-only focus, trying to engage more mums to be coaches. So you're starting to build that capability and saying things like that, uh, I guess as a hiring manager, you're going to go, wow, they actually know the issues of rugby league where there isn't, you know, obviously mm-hmm. now there is, but, you know, 10 years ago, the, the actual female participation side was so low. So if you go in and you're selling that, you know, they don't want to hear, oh, I'm the best coach ever and I can get this kid to NRL. Game development isn't about that. Game development is about getting as many people as possible playing and engaging. So whether they're watching the TV and seeing the NRL, whether they're coming to a holiday clinic, they're buying a product, playing junior footy, that's what that's what the sports, I guess, more holistically are looking at. It's not just playing the game. How else can they engage with the game? So it sounds like, it, so say someone's coming to the Australian Sports Commission and um, they're applying for, let's say, let's just say a marketing job. So yep. sep- separate to game development. Um, it sounds like for that person to have success in that role, they would need to fish out what are the goals of the organisation first. Similarly to how you're, in your example earlier, the game development officer needs to know the goals of the mum at footy training and understand that, you know, safety and an affordable program is her number one priority. Definitely. If you take that lens into an organisation, it's finding out what are their goals. So how do you find the organisation's goals? <laughs> yeah, so so uh, again, the, the first thing you, you need to be looking at is is going onto their um, uh, their website, having a look under About Us is normally where you might find that corporate plan, that strategic plan, and then looking at um, if there's an org structure, you might be able to have a look at an org structure and say, right, well, you know, this role sort of sits there. Who do they report to? What are some of the other jobs around that area that might sort of link into this? So when you're sort of in that interview and you're talking to them in the background research, you can say, well, I know that this role in, you know, like you said, uh, marketing links in with our communication team. I know that this also links in with our media team. And part of that is I know we've got the Winter Olympics coming up, so I know that there will be a big part where all the teams will collaborate together. It's having that understanding of what those organisational goals are as opposed to just looking at the, I guess, at the job saying, you know, this job looks great, I can definitely do that job. There's probably no doubt you can do that job. But how is it, what skill set can you bring to not just do the job but link in with, uh, I guess, a corporate plan or a strategic plan more bigger picture stuff and and i think this is where having a great network around you becomes really important and makes these things super easy because you can dig on an organization's website all day and you might not find it just because it hasn't been uploaded but if you've you know gone out there and met people in the field then you can call up anybody and ask them hey can you just you know send me something from your internal files that might help me and um you know to be honest that was part of how I got the role at CA was being able to call up Joel Morrison, who was in the Big Bash team at the time, and he was able to give me the rundown. Ruben, look out for this. So, um, 
it's also like if you if you've put time into building your network already, you're gonna know people from across organisations, right? So if you want to go work in the commercial team at the AFL, you'll know someone at the AFL, if not the commercial team already, and you can get in touch with someone in there to say like, what are the problems in your team right now? And if you yeah. rocked up with an interview mm-hmm. with that knowledge, and you're able to provide some examples to how you're going to fix that, then there's not a lot mm. of bad that can come from that, I wouldn't have thought. No, <laughs> no right. and, and if I'm honest, that's how I, um, uh, so I, when I left the NRL, I actually got a job at the Sports Commission in the Sporting Schools team. Now, Sporting Schools is a massive product all over Australia. I think it's maybe $40 million a year that the government mm. invests, wow. basically to provide free PE across almost Oh, I can't even remember it, maybe 20 odd sports across Australia that provide these three sessions and the government pay for them. But the inside running that I had was the NRL ran sporting schools programs. So when the ASC were looking for someone to come and join their sporting schools team, I knew the, I knew the program inside out. I'd, I'd worked with the manager of that team before. So I could call him and say, Hey, I'm, I'm very interested in this role. I've obviously got all the, the background of on field running these programs. I know how the funding works what else do I need to know about this job? And, and he was able to give me some really good points and tips on things to look out for. So, uh, again, I think that networking stuff is so important. Yeah. It's like you you can go on a website, but you're only really going to get the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, totally. Like the more you know someone and, can, and have a network, you can start to really dig beneath the surface and actually see what is happening in that program. What what are the things I need to know? And, so, and, and there might Ryan, be some... I think a lot of people are afraid. To, sorry, I was going to say, I think a lot of people are afraid too to call the hiring manager. So, in in a lot of roles, th- there's a hiring manager, and it says if you have any questions, please call the hiring manager. Now, if someone called you and said, "Hey, uh, I'm obviously really interested in this role. I'd love if there was any more information. Do you have a you know a corporate plan? Uh, is there any more documentation you can provide me?" If I was a hiring manager, I'd be thinking, "Wow, this person is." wanting to know more about this role that like that's really impressive that they're preparing mm. as much as they can whether whether they get that information or not is a different story but i'd be impressed as a hiring manager if someone was calling me asking for those things the other thing that a person can tell you that a strategic plan can maybe and you know some detailed ones could but if you're looking at five or six different things on one page some of them are probably taking more priority than than others and the people on the inside mm. are probably the only people who can actually tell you Yes, we're focusing on that, but this is our number one priority right now for whatever reason. Things change in sport all the time, like things chop and change. So you could be focusing on the lowest priority item if you just go off the bit of paper. But if you know the person, you can then tailor that to what's actually going on. Definitely, definitely. And, And I think that's just where your research into the role comes into play that network certainly plays a big part of it, asking as many questions as you can to find out, you know, what is the key priority at the moment? You know, if it's um, funding, building, okay, well, what programs do you know of? How can you help build that funding for that organisation? You know, a lot of sporting organisations run so um, so lean, you know, any funding that they can sort of get is going to be benefit to it. So if you came to the table and went, hey, I know that there's this funding program that we could tap into, you'd get organisations, sporting organisations, jumping out of their skin to, to get you on board. There's a lot of great information and, and helpful tips here to, you know, guide people who are looking to do their research. But once they've done all their research, Adam, what's the best way to weave that into your answers? Yeah, good, good question. And it's, again, it's all good having the knowledge, 
but how you then present that back. And I think that's a really important part, again, is your communication. So knowing the role that you're going for, how that then can link in with the information that you've got is then presenting it back in a style that, one, you understand, because if you're presenting it back and you actually don't believe it or don't understand it, the panel obviously are going to pick that out and say, he's just, he's read our corporate plan. He's pulled words out of there. I know, you know, I know what that means. So for me, it's really important about, you, you can sort of spit that stuff back in there. How are you actually going to do that? What can you contribute to that? So, you know, if it's about, like I said, something around funding, what funding programs do you know maybe that that sport currently uses and what could you contribute to that? If it's around growing participation in a particular area, it's, it's talking about that particular area, maybe knowing some background on, yeah, I know, you know, last year in, in female rugby league, you know, there was a 25% drop, dropout rate. Um, I think here's a few ideas that I could think of that come up and, and try and um, could help build that as well. Um, so I think, I think that's really important. And it's, it's just having the confidence in it and backing yourself and not sort of second guessing that you've got the right answer. You'll know from the panel whether you've sort of got the right answer or not. Brilliant. Well, no one should have any problem delivering an incredibly good answer after listening to all that, Adam. That was uh, comprehensive. <laughs> Adam, this is a, a very broad question, so so feel free to take it in any direction you like. But what else do organisations want to hear from a really good quality candidate? Yeah, good good question. Good question. And again, this, this could definitely go anywhere. I think they certainly want to know that you have looked into more than just what the job ad says. So I, I guess I've talked a lot about, you know, probably looking at the corporate plan or, or the background, doing some research into the role. Um, I think that is such an important part of, of presenting yourself at an interview is knowing what it is that you're actually going to present and presenting that then with the confidence. If it's not the right thing, you're going to know and they're going to tell you it's not the right thing. I think as well, if they've got more questions or they want you to build on something, then you can build on that. But it is really important to know that background. They want to hear, um, I guess, in the job ad, it'll, it'll sort of tell you really what their focuses are. And that's where if you're addressing those things and depending on what role it is, there may be, have been a selection criteria prior to that. So you don't really want to repeat yourself within that. So you've already answered a selection criteria. They will be really happy with a lot of those questions. It'll be you understanding what you wrote in the selection criteria. And then the second part is how you can build on that. So it might've been really clear in your selection questions, how you could address or how you could do something, build on that. What's the next part of that? So if I was to get this job, I would be looking straight away to come up with a project plan, engage with, you know, government, I'd be looking at local council, I'd make sure that I had um, access to as many email addresses as I could to, to run a survey to, you know, gauge interest in a female clinic. It's just having that sort of bit of thought and bit of process planning before you get there. And it's hard because it's almost as if you've got the job before you've got yeah. the job. But if you go in, if you go in with that mindset, I, I believe that that's probably one of the biggest things that can help you. So, you know, when I had my interview for the Raiders and the NRL job, I was in I was in England. The the um, phone call was with the CEO at 3 a.m. in the morning for me um, and lunchtime for them. So it was very convenient for them, but yeah. not so much for me. But I had laid out my whole dining table because it was over Skype at the time. You didn't really do video. So it was over a Skype call, no video. So I was like, great. 
a print off every piece of information (laughs) I can find about this job. I had it all laid out over my dinner table. I've been working on it for about a week. Um, And when I got to the interview, I didn't look at it once because I'd, I'd researched and planned. I knew all the programs that they run. I knew what additions and I'd already pre-planned like what additions or things that I could personally add into those programs to, to try and help. And I sort of tried to find where maybe the, there was a, a gap that I could add into that. So I, I, I sort of said to my wife the next morning, like, it's crazy. I didn't even look like I had 50 sheets of paper with stuff on it and not once ever sort of went back to those notes. But when I sort of packed up the next day, I'd addressed almost everything there because I planned so well. I knew ahead of time what I wanted. Um, again, in the current climate, it's, there's very rare that you're doing a face-to-face interview. So you could have notes. We, we've even said to people at the Sports Commission, when you're going for an interview, don't be afraid to have notes in front of you. I, yeah. I don't think there'd be a panel that would go, oh, geez, they don't know what they're talking about. I would be thinking that person's really planned. They've they've thought about this role. They've put notes down on paper that they want to make sure that they remember. Yeah, That's a good thing, but I think a lot of people are a bit scared of that. Yeah. Um, Ali Durkis, who's the HR manager at the ICC T20 World Cup, she said exactly that in the very first episode yeah. that we did of the Sports Grad podcast. She said, if someone brought in notes into our interview, we would not mind because it's not a memory test. Yeah. You know, we want yes. to hear your questions. You know, we want to hear the best part of you. If you need to bring notes, that's totally fine. Um, a couple of other points on the things that you touched on. Um, there's a little framework called 30, 60, 90 that helps people prepare for starting a new job and basically just outlines what are you going to do in the first 30 days? What are you going to do in the first 60 days, first 90 days that can just help you come up with a way to go about your business. And I'm glad you brought up, you know, going above and beyond and bring that into an interview to say, this is what I can do. Um, another guest who was previous on the podcast called Aman Alawalia, uh, episode 57 from the Kansas City Chiefs. He talks about this uh, concept called And One. I think it was actually, I think it was his friend from the Golden State Warriors who came up with it, and it which is why the basketball term came along with it too. But <laughs> essentially, if your manager says, hey, I want to report, give him the report and one. So what can you do to go the extra mile? And you've kind of tied that same principle into an interview setting. That's what can you coaching, do? mate. That's mm. coaching. Yep, 100%. We used to talk about that at the Raiders all the time and we call it plus one. Everything you do was always plus one. Mm. So if we were doing hundreds, let's do a plus one to finish. Let's do 1% more than everybody else would do. So when we were going into a game, we knew we'd, we'd done one extra hundred. You know, we'd done one extra set. We'd kicked one extra goal. We'd done one everything of everything else and that 1% when we got to game day would add up to 50% more than the other team had done. And and that you're right, that's the, exactly the same when you're pre- prepping for an interview. Do one thing more than everyone else is going to do. When, uh, when you think back to all the interviews that you've been a part of, are there any particular individuals that stand out in your mind you, re- you can recall and what did they do well and what do you think other people can adopt from them? Yeah, uh, when I was um, actually at the Department of Finance, I was a manager there for a help desk. And, um, yeah, there was a guy that turned up one day and um, he was just completely unprepared. His CV read really well, obviously good enough to get to get the interview. But when he turned up, not dressed in a suit, not prepared, didn't really remember a lot about the job. It was almost like he just sent his CV off in hope that something might happen and – 
there was that as soon as he sort of got to the door, the panel we saw and we were instantly all writing notes like, no, no, just not prepared, not presentable. So that that's one of the big things just because it's a sport job, a game of coaching, whatever that is, you should be in a suit prepared, ready to go, looking professional as if, you know, you're a CEO. That that would be my one of my biggest, biggest, biggest things. So, Adam, before we wrap up, we just want to touch base again on preparation. I know we just mentioned this, but say you've just been told you've got an interview in two weeks' time. What do you do to prepare in that time outside of researching the organisation and, of course, getting your suit dry cleaned? <laughs> yeah, again, good question. I think you guys talked about this um, You know, at the start was going through your network. Who, who do you know that has either is in that particular field, has done that job, know someone who's done that job, that you can start having those conversations with them about the role. What do they know about it? What issues are currently in that role? Um, and it start, you're just starting to build that picture of the things that you need to know. So when you're starting to look at, you know, your corporate plan or your structure or your whatever it is, the job description, you sort of got that in the back of your head that you've already started to network with a few people. And again, it's not being afraid to call the hiring manager in the lead up, you know, two weeks before and saying, hey, you know, I'm really keen on this. I've, I've got an interview. Can you send me through, you know, any documentation you've got? It's, it's just the big, it's just building a picture of what you know they know and then what you think they also might want to know and having a few different examples of that brainstorming having your tip sheet ready for interview not being afraid to look at that tip sheet during interview as well um i know one of the very last questions when i was at um london broncos asked me was you know what what would you do to get this job and i was like i would coach in iraq to get this job (laughs) and they they looked at me and I'm like, I'm serious. I said, I know this job inside out. I know I can deliver in this role. I'm really excited. I would go anywhere. If you guys said you've got to pack up now and you've got to go to Egypt and coach, I'm prepared to do that. That's how much I want this job. And I think about two weeks after um, after I got the job, I met um, the CEO of the Broncos at the time and he said, mate, that, that comment will stay with me forever because we could see – that you were so passionate and committed. And I'd say that's one of the other biggest things about it is showing that you actually want the job, being passionate, being committed to to the job, to the interview. That that comes across and that's, again, part of that communication from what I, I guess at the very start of the podcast was talking about with my, my mate in England. You just believed everything he said. He was so passionate about it. He was passionate about growing the game. He was passionate about, you know, his communication and talking to people. So whenever he spoke, everyone stopped and looked at him. There's no no different there to a job interview. If you're passionate about that role you're going for, be passionate about it. If you're a hiring manager, you're going to love seeing someone sitting there saying, I want to do this job because I love it. These are all the things that are exciting about it. I can bring my skills to this role. I can bring my skills to your organisation, to your team. I, I think that's a really important part for it. But like I said, that he said that will stay with him forever. And I look back now and cringe a little bit. Um, <laughs> But I was, I was absolutely passionate about the job. I couldn't wait to, to get an opportunity to be working in a sport. I love that. That's great. And just quickly, can you put a number on the hours you put into your preparation for that interview? Oh, for that one? Oh, mate, it would have been 20 minimum, minimum. 
Awesome. Um, again, just making sure that I knew everything. I was quite lucky. I knew the game development. So this is that networking, I suppose you're talking yeah. about. I've only just remembered this, but my best friend's mum in Canberra was the actual game development officer about 20 years ago. I remember as kids, she was the game development officer. So um, I got onto my mate, got onto his mum. She'd retired 20 years ago, but she knew she, she still knew some of the people. So she was able to send me things um, that they were doing back then that were still in the NRL today. So again, it's just that, that, that network is, is so important and not being afraid to talk to people. You know, when you're at, um, I know a lot of the sports get together for big school clinics and things like that. Go and talk to some of the other sports. I know there's so many of them are so closed when you go there and, you know, rugby leagues over here and unions over there and soccer's there and you never sort of mingle or meet. I couldn't wait to go and pick those people as a coach. I wanted to steal their their games that they were playing because I knew that I could adapt them for what I was doing. But I also wanted to see what they did, how they were doing it, how they were running their sessions and coaching and building that network. So if you ever did want to get into a different role or all of a sudden, you know, that person was, you know, working for the government in a in a key role and you're going for a job, you've got that connection there. So it, it really is a massive part of, of any um, try, trying to get a job anywhere is having a network and building a network. That's awesome. And finally, if you can just cast yourself back, you're about to go into your interview at the Australian Sports Commission. You've done all your preparation, 20 plus hours of preparation for this interview. Um, what is the last minute piece of advice you would give yourself right now? Stop sweating. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, just, just, just calm down. I think a lot of the times, um, and I've gotten better at this over time, but I, I think... Uh, just working myself up because I know I've done so much preparation and I've got it all there. And my wife's helped me so much with um, just saying, you've got this, even, even for this podcast today going, I've planned, I know I've listened to the boys podcast. I've seen the quote, I know what's coming. And I'm like, Oh, I'm nervous. I'm a bit excited. And she's like, well, you've got this, you know, as soon as you sit in front of the boys, you're going to know it's the same for any of you now prep. When I do that, I get all my stuff prepped and then it's just taking a breath, knowing that I know, what I'm going to deliver and what I'm going to present. That would be the biggest thing for me. Stop sweating, take a breath. Well, we're, and, we're exactly the other, same. <laughs> we did our preparation for you so that yeah, so we didn't stuff up either. <laughs> the other big piece of advice is don't be afraid to have a drink of water in the interview either because, you know, there's that cup of water that everyone is like, no one wants to ever touch that water. Have yeah. a drink if you need to, yeah. you know, when you first get in there, sit down and have a drink and just sort of relax yourself a bit. Don't be afraid to do that either. I reckon people don't do that because they're that nervous. No. That they reckon oh, they're probably going to get the glass while doing these ones. <laughs> they are. And, you know, that's one of the biggest things, you know, like we talked about having that tip sheet or the um, like some notes in front of you. I think people are the same. They're thinking, oh, they'll, they'll look at me a bit weird if I have a drink or if I do. You, you be, be yourself if you need to have a drink or you need to look at your notes or you don't understand a question. Ask for more information. Yeah. Again, hiring managers aren't going to go, oh, geez, they've asked for follow-up there. That's, you know, not a good sign. You're <laughs> yes. just requesting more information. But a lot of the time, <clears throat> pardon me, you can buy yourself a little bit of time then to think about your answer a bit more. So it's it's just have it going in with that confidence and knowing that you can do those things in an interview and you're not going to be looked down because of it. Love it. Well, some key tips there. A lot, a lot, of ta a lot to take away, which is amazing, but... Adam, we'll, we'll leave it there for today. Um, it's been absolutely awesome chatting to you and, and getting the insights uh, from someone who's done so much in sport, both here and in the 
the UK. It sounded like it was an unreal experience over there. Um, but yeah, some of that insight you've just given us around sort of pre- preparation for interviews and and how to you know be the best candidate you can be for a job has been absolutely unreal. So thanks so much for chatting to us and uh, good luck for, for whatever's next. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. And, and uh, yeah, hopefully I've, again, like I said at the start, if I can leave the room today and someone's taken something away from it, well, uh, I've done my job today. So yeah, thank you so much for having me. Awesome, Rubes. That was uh, pretty damn good from Adam Kyle, I thought. Mm. Uh, the insights there was just crazy. Mm. So And the um, media training too. <laughs> I knew you were going to say it. I knew it. we had a good little chat with him before and I thought that's a bit of gold that we can bring straight <laughs> away. And I, I, was, I, you know, I was thinking we could wait a little while to get this into the episode, but you just went bang straight up. So don't, don't mess around. Good, uh, good on you. But um, what stood out for you? One thing that stood out for me was the empathy that you need to have for your audience, no matter what context you are in. So as Adam mentioned, you know, if you're in the interview, understand the organization and their goals and what they need is most important so you can tell them yeah. what they want. Or if you're working as a game development officer and you're out in the community running coaching sessions, you've got to talk to a parent. You've got to understand what the parent needs and wants. Or if you're talking to a CEO, you've got to understand what the CEO needs and wants too. And usually they're, they're pretty direct to the point. So if you like to chat and just fluff around, maybe you might need to dial that back. Um, yeah. So, but having empathy for your audience and making that a really clear thing, clear consideration that you take into your conversations, I think is one thing that people can put into practice. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, um, I loved how he mentioned that everyone should be making networking part of their interview prep which it 100% is, you know, um, there's no better insight you're going to get from talking to someone within that organisation. Hey, it, you can do even better and just speak to someone from that team or that department. Um, and that, you know, we mentioned Ali Durkis in that episode. She's right now in our sports grad community where you can literally go and ask her straight away a question. Mm. Um, you know, we've got people from netball, from FIFA, from, you know, FIFA, we mentioned FIFA. Um <laughs> All these people. So, like, we have the platform where you can go and ask those questions. So, mm. it's so integral that you get those insights. And Adam mentioned in that episode just how quality those insights can be so mm. that you can actually add the depth you need to your answers in an interview. So, yeah, that was a really great point, I thought. Yeah. And and just to add to his point, you know, if you're doing 20 hours of preparation for an interview, you can spend the first 10 hours of that just trying to find the right person to talk to. Yeah. But if you've done your networking well in advance, you can spend, you know, the 20 seconds it takes to dial someone's number yeah. to get the information you want. So there's chalk and cheese different chalk and cheese difference between having your networks in advance and trying to find them when you need them at the last second. Totally. Finally, Ryan, the last bit of advice <laughs> to take away from Adam is don't sweat. <laughs> And wear a suit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and if you are going to sweat, wear a suit anyway so that it hides the sweat. <laughs> oh, I, it is bad, isn't it? I, was, I used to sweat so bad. And I did wear a suit though. I'm, I'm a big pacer. I, oh, yeah. wore, I wore a suit to my Cricket Australia interview, but prior to walking into the building, I was just doing like, you know, yeah, running up and down the, the practice nets outside the MCG. <laughs> uh, you know the thing you said about drinking the water? Mm-hmm. I totally agree. It's daunting. Like I, I remember, I've sat in interviews. I'm like, I'm not grabbing that glass. Yeah. I, I'm just <laughs> shaking the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> but 
that's not the advice we're given. Drink the water. Drink it's okay. the water. It's totally fine. Absolutely. Yeah. Wear the suit. Wear the suit. Yeah. Dry clean your suit. Just get get crisp. Yeah. Get looking good. Anyway, we'll leave it there. Uh, if you want to find us on LinkedIn, um, sorry, if you want to find us on LinkedIn, you can find us on LinkedIn. <laughs> uh, be sure to jump into the sports Hack community as well. We'd love to chat. Uh, with you on there. You can find a link to do so in our show notes. So thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.